Ephesians chapter 3 and Acts 21. Okay, I know it's early. But what's the theme of Ephesians? Christian, you are wealthy. Now walk worthy, right? Chapters 1, 2, and 3. Christian, you're wealthy. Chapters 4, 5, and 6. Now walk worthy. Paul has been for weeks showing us how rich we are. And you say, funny you should mention that, preacher. It's going to be a long service. Um, funny you would say that, preacher, because no more. Um, because Paul may, may say that I'm rich, but my bank account disagrees strongly. Paul may say that I'm healthy, wealthy and wise. Paul may say that I'm healthy, but my doctor doesn't agree. My banker doesn't say I'm wealthy. And my wife certainly doesn't say I'm wise. Paul obviously doesn't understand my circumstances. I mean, how could he understand what I'm going through? Uh, I mean, I'm a prisoner to a bank. I'm a hostage to my bills. I'm a prisoner to my health situation. I'm a prisoner in this marriage. If Paul had it like I have it, he would definitely be singing a different tune than he is now. If you're actually thinking that, you haven't been around here for very long, have you? You haven't read 2 Corinthians 11. If actually, if those thoughts have crossed your mind in the last week, I would recommend just write down these words, 2 Corinthians 11, and read through the list of what Paul went through. Um, Paul had more troubles in an average week than pretty much anybody here would have probably in a decade. Today's text is a great example of Paul's trials and the fact that he triumphs in his trials. Uh, We see this over and over again, and I think it's because God knows we need to be reminded. It's like, okay, all right, joy is actually possible in this situation. I'll just default and look back at Paul and, okay, yeah. Um, Here's an outline if you want it. We're going to look at Paul, the prisoner, We're going to look at Paul's personal project. We're going to find out that's the Gentiles. Uh, We're going to look at Paul's proclamation. Verse six, I believe. We're going to look at it that Paul actually looked at this whole thing as a privilege. And then finally, we're going to see Paul's plea to the Ephesians. Um, That's why the title is Don't Cry for Me, Gentiles. That's that's basically what he's going to say. Um, If after reading all of this, if after studying this this morning, you still feel like you have it worse than Paul, then you can just read down the side of your page for my answer to you. Paul didn't waste any time feeling sorry for himself. Look at verse one. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. Okay, so he states right from the get go that he's a prisoner. Uh, we, we're gonna, we, we know that he's a prisoner in Rome. He's alluding to the fact that he's writing from a Roman prison. Now look down at verse 13. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. It starts with him in a prison cell and it ends with him saying, don't feel sorry for me. I'm, I'm living the abundant life. I ask, and it's funny, he's not even concerned about himself. He's like, I'm concerned about you concerning being concerned about me. Amazing. Um, So apparently, I think, again, it's time for another refresher course in Paul's secret to the abundant life. 
You've heard it before. Joy in jail. Peace in prison. Tranquility in tribulation. Triumph in trials. And I got a new one. Fun in the dungeon. Let's get started. Um, First notice, Paul the prisoner. Notice that he does not say he is a prisoner of Rome, but a prisoner of Christ. Verse 1, for this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. Paul writes from a prison cell that is in Rome. Um, but notice his perspective. Yeah, sure, I'm, I'm under house arrest at Rome's expense. They're paying the tab. Uh, sure, I'm constrained by Roman guards. But I tell you, I am not a prisoner of Rome. I, Paul, he says, am a prisoner of Christ Jesus. If you want to be reminded, if you want Paul's joy in jail, if you want fun in the dungeon, first thing to think about is whose prisoner am I? Are you a prisoner of your current circumstances? Are you a prisoner of your job? Or maybe you think I'm a prisoner of a loveless marriage or a mountain of debt. Is that who ultimately controls you? Or is it? Jesus. Paul was a prisoner of Jesus whose current assignment happened to be in a Roman jail cell. If if you're a suffering Christian here this morning, I would say to you that you're you're a prisoner of Jesus and your current assignment might happen to be a difficult job or a difficult marriage or your current assignment is in a cancer ward. Or right now, your current assignment is digging out of a mountain of debt. But it boils down to whose prisoner really are you in your head? Whose prisoner are you? Paul was never controlled by other men. Even though he's chained to them, he can't get away. He's not controlled by them. He was never controlled by other men. He was never controlled by prison doors or shipwreck or famine or thirst. In his inner mind, in his heart of hearts, he was a prisoner of Christ. Never a prisoner to those other things. He had settled that long ago. A prisoner of Christ. So here we see Paul was a prisoner, not of Rome, but of Christ in Rome. Next notice, he was a prisoner of Christ, but he was a prisoner for the Gentiles. You see it? Verse 1. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles. What he's basically getting ready to say is, you guys are the reason I'm here. But he's not bitter. We'll see. If you were to start in the book of Acts, uh, let's say the the very last chapter of of the book of Acts. You start in Acts 28 and rewind. Okay, rewind Paul's all expense paid trip to the Roman jail cell. Think about it. What would you would see the snake bite on the island? You'd see the shipwreck on the prisoner ship. You'd see the trials that he had before Felix and Festus and Agrippa. You'd see the 40 assassins trying to take him out. They pledged not not to eat a thing until they had killed Paul. You'd see the riot that broke out in Jerusalem. If you were to rewind all those things, if when you get to Acts 21, why don't you turn there with me? Turn to Acts 21. You would see how his trip to Rome began. This is the reason that Paul's in the jail cell writing to the Ephesians uh, this morning. Is that some people, some Jews, 
thought that Paul had had the audacity to take his Gentile friends past that middle wall of separation that we've talked about, right? On, in, in the Jewish, uh, at the Temple Mount, there was this wall and it basically said, look, if you're a Gentile and you go past here, we're not responsible for killing you. And we will. Um, people had accused Paul of doing that. He actually hadn't. But that is it, the, the racial tension was so high that just the mere rumor that Paul had dared to take a Gentile past this wall was basically the, the impetus for a deadly mob forming. So track with me at the end of uh, Acts 21, the, the Roman guards are, are trying to keep Paul from being torn limb from limb. OK, and Paul says at, at the end of this chapter, he says, talk to turn to the guard and says, um, hey, do you mind? Can I address this crowd? You know, the one that's trying to kill me. <laughs> Look at verse 21 or chapter 21, verse 40. Excuse me. So when the guard had given Paul permission Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people. And when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, saying, and then it turns to the chapter. But it, get that picture first, right? They're trying to kill him. This is obviously a God moment beginning to happen, right? He's like, I want to talk with these folks. Okay, it's your funeral. All right. Just get silent. Look at chapter 22. He begins his, his uh, defense. Brethren and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they kept all the more silent. They hear, oh, he he's literally speaking our language and he he does it with the with the same accent that that we've grown accustomed to from those Pharisees. This man is learned. Let's listen to what he's saying. OK, so they've got he's got their rapt attention. You could hear a pin drop. Amazing turnaround from from a mob that was just about ready to to kill him. He begins his testimony. Then he said, verse three, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, 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 sorry, there it is. But brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, I was taught according to the strictness of our father's law. And I was zealous toward God as you are all here today. And he goes on. We'll give you the short version basically says, look, I was just like you guys. I was killing, I, uh, killing, murdering. I was I, I held the coats for the guys when they killed Stephen. And he, he continues on and then he says, and then I met Jesus. And he changed my life. And it's still deadly silent. He's got him right there, right? And then he says, and when I met Jesus, he gave me a new assignment. Verse 21, chapter 22, verse 21. Then Jesus said to me, Paul says, depart, for I will send you far from here to the Gentiles. And they listened to him until this word, the word Gentiles. And they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow from the from the earth, for he is not fit to live. Then as they cried out and tore off their clothes and they threw dust into the air, the commander ordered him to be brought into the barracks and said that he should be examined under scourging so that they might know what they shouted against him. Literally, when Paul says, I'm a prisoner of Christ, but I'm for the Gentiles, it's because of that word. He, when he said, this is my assignment from God and the rest of the book, y'all, uh, of the book of Acts is Paul's abundant life. In assassins sights, 
uh, his abundant life in famine, in hunger. The rest of the book is his joy in jail, his tranquility in trials, literally trials for his life. The rest of the book is his triumph in the midst of tragedy, peace and peril, shining in a shipwreck, shaking off snake bites, fun in the dungeon. All of it was started by one word. Gentile. Verse one. Ephesians chapter three, verse one. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles. Paul says here, look, I am in this Roman prison because of you Gentiles. Now, I think if I was writing this letter and I were to basically say that I'm here in prison because of you Gentiles, my next phrase would be, I hope you're happy. (laughs) But not Paul. Paul's going to go on to say, listen, I'm here because of you Gentiles. And here's why. Because God loves you. God ordered me to to speak out on your behalf because he loves you, because he's going to. He is in the midst of including you in his family. So our first P is Paul, the prisoner of Christ. Your second P is Paul's personal project, and that is the Gentiles. Okay, Um, I need you to track with me and put your thinking caps on. I know again, I know it's earlier than it seems. Um, But I need you to really focus because there's a lot of things going on here in these next few verses. Um, And and actually, I had to had to break it up. So you'll you'll get more next week. But we kind of really need to track as best we can. And here there's two reasons. Some some of the words in here we need to define so that we're all understanding. But the other reason, if you haven't noticed it, verse two through 13. Does it look familiar as one of Paul's crazy run on long sentences? Look at it. Verse one, he says, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for you Gentiles, he starts a thought. Now look down at verse 14. For this reason, starts it the same way. It's like he's like, this is what I meant to say. (laughs) For this reason, I bow my knees to the father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what I think he was going to say. But he says, I'm a prisoner for you Gentiles. Oh, and that reminds me. And now he's off. Y'all, that makes me feel so much better about my preaching. (laughs) My inability to finish one whole complete thought. I'm like, yeah, me and Paul, we're the same way. Paul says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ and for you Gentiles. Oh, look, something shiny. (laughs) The only difference between Paul and me is that even his digressions are are God breathed. Um, It's like Paul is reminding Uh, he's reminded that these Gentiles are the reason that he's in jail. And he basically spends now the next 12 verses going, you guys are worth it. I am so blessed to be here. All right. Now get your thinking caps on verse two. He says, I am a, a prisoner of Christ Jesus for you Gentiles. And he goes, Oh, if indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you dispensation. It means a portion of, Quickest way to wrap your head around it. A soda dispenser gives out dispensations, portions of something, right? Um, a Pez dispenser gives you one glorious Pez at a time out of Chewbacca's neck. Um, it, it means a portion, um, but it also has the connotation of stewardship. 
the idea of being given an assignment. Um, this is the same word they would use for like if a master were to gather his head uh, servants and say, OK, your your dispensation for today is to uh, get the get the uh, horses ready. Your dispensation is this. It's an assignment. OK, a portion of an assignment. Paul is basically saying to us Gentiles, especially to the ones in Ephesians, in, in Ephesus, you guys are my assignment. You're my portion. God, God, almost it's like he took my, my head in, in his hands and said, I've got a great assignment for you. I want you to be the one to tell the Gentiles that I love them. It's like God said to Paul, look, your personal project is going to be these Gentiles. Look at verse two. If indeed you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which was given to me for you. God has this grace and he has it for for so many. And what he's saying to Paul is, here's here's the portion that I want you to go after. OK, verse three, how that by revelation. OK, that means an unveiling. OK, <clears throat> To reveal something, how that by revelation he made known to me the mystery, as I have briefly written already. He, he's written about this mystery. You may remember, like in chapter two, he says, by which when you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ. Is anybody confused yet? Um, he, let's let's break it down. The word mystery. Remember, in the New Testament, it never means something that you can't know. It never means something that's unknowable. It always means something that was previously unknowable, but now is well known by the initiated. Okay, it's revealed. It only happens by revelation. Um, If you've ever been in a fraternity, right, you have certain things that only you know, right? I was in a fraternity in college, a music fraternity. We were the cool kids. Our secret handshake is a mystery to you, but not to me. It's been revealed. I've been initiated. Okay. Paul says, look, God has revealed to me his secret involving you Gentiles. Here it is. Verse five, which in other ages was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed by the spirit to his holy apostles and prophets. Actually, Paul's just kind of creating more suspense here. He just keeps he, he won't quite yet get to the point. And he says, look, I've alluded to it already uh, back in chapter two. It's never been revealed before before, but it has to me. I know the secret handshake. I know the secret that, that God is is spreading. I've got a secret. I've got a secret. OK, Paul, what is it? What is it? What's the big mystery? Here's your third P that this is Paul's proclamation. This is the mystery that he's revealed. This is his message wherever he would go. Verse six, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Y'all, that's a bombshell. It doesn't seem like it for us because most of the Christians we know are Gentiles. But again, you need to understand Christianity didn't start out as a Gentile religion. To the Jew first and then to the Gentile. And every time that the the Jewish culture would reject it, Paul would go, "Okay, fine, I'm going to the Gentiles. This was a huge thing. Look at it again. Verse six, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Um, I know I know I've told you before. The Jews back in the day would call Gentiles uh, fodder for hell. They would call Gentiles dogs and they didn't mean cute, cuddly dogs. They meant like street 
rabid pack of dogs. This is the very reason that Paul's in jail for supposedly treating Gentiles as fellow heirs of the same body, as partakers in the same promise. Y'all, again, I don't, there's probably no way to really express to you what an, uh, an earth-moving thing this was. Paul's like, let me put it this way, back in the Old Testament, and this is what he says kind of in verse 5. Back in the Old Testament, yeah, there were some indications that God cared about all nations. He, he always wanted the Jews to be fair to, to a, the aliens, the stranger, right? There, and there was some indication that there might even be some very liberal rabbis that would say, hey, God even loves Gentiles. But nobody had ever said, nobody would ever suggest that Gentiles like you and me, verse 6, should be fellow heirs. With all the rights and privileges pertaining to, right? To be really, truly part of the body. To be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. Y'all, that was Paul's proclamation. This was the portion of God's grace that he gave to Paul. When he sat Paul down, he said, here's your assignment. I want you to go to the Gentiles. And I want you to tell them that they can be completely part of my family. Just like the Jews. Now, y'all. Don't you think God has a sense of humor? Go into Paul, the Uber Jew, and saying, here's your assignment. I want you to go everywhere, everywhere you go. I want you to say that the Gentiles are included. This Paul who would just as soon kill Christians. God is proving that he has a sense of humor. He's not only going to make him a Christian, but he's going to send him with this fun new message to the Jews. Hey, God loves Gentile dogs, too. Y'all, that's what what God revealed through Paul. That was his assignment. That was his portion. Quick question for you. What is your proclamation? As I'm thinking through it, my, my proclamation is very similar to Paul's. It sounds like this. You'll never believe who God's in love with. People that we think are dogs. People that we think are scum. You'll never believe who God's going after. Think about what this cost Paul, though. This proclamation, this assignment, is going to cost him greatly. It cost him his old life. It cost him his wealth. No doubt, if he was a Pharisee back in that, that culture, I'm sure he was well-to-do. It, we don't know, but it could have cost him his wife. We know that he was married at one point. And we know for sure that it cost him his freedom. If I'm Paul, I wonder if he ever thought, Lord, my portion, couldn't I just know the secret handshake instead? This proclamation in this hotbed of racial tension was definitely a free ticket to jail for him. Different application, maybe for somebody in the room. And you thought you had a tough ministry. Maybe you have a ministry here at the church or maybe it's in your home that you're like, it's, it's just too tough. Um, Mom, maybe you are chained to a load of laundry. And an ungrateful kid who never cleans up after himself. And I'm talking about your husband. Um, Paul's proclamation 
has landed him in prison. But this is where it really turns around and you need to see it. Paul didn't see it as a prison sentence, as a death sentence. He saw it as a privilege. Look at verse 7. Of which I became a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effective working of his power. And as he goes, I can just hear the gratefulness in Paul's voice. And he's truly humbled. Look at verse 8. To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Unsearchable means ridiculous riches. The idea is you are searching for the end of them. You're looking out on the horizon to see if you can get a glimpse of where this treasure might end. And there's no end in sight. The unsearchable riches. Y'all, that's what we've been studying in weeks now. The unsearchable riches of Christ. Paul is talking about, he's like, when I start, stop to think about it, this is amazing. God chose me, the least of all of his saints, the one who killed Christians. To, to talk about these unsearchable riches, think about the unsearchable riches. God's forgiveness. The fact that he accepts sinners. God's willingness, his ability. No, actually, God's joy in wiping sin away from filthy people. God's willingness to bring us into his family and to adopt us into his home. To treat you and me like sons and daughters. To let us in on his secrets. To never leave me nor forsake me. Unsearchable riches. Paul says, I can't believe it. I was the head persecutor. I used to drag Christians out of their homes. They used to call me the widow maker. I used to make Christians blaspheme against Christ. And yet God gives me this privilege to preach among the Gentiles. There's unsearchable riches waiting you. When I read that, I go, okay, yeah, well, when you put it that way, preaching the gospel really is a privilege. When you think about evangelizing as telling people where there are unsearchable riches, it's a privilege. Question, do you see evangelism, Christian, as a privilege or a pain? What motivates you to share your faith? Is it gratefulness or is it guilt? When you think about sharing your faith, is it a, I can't believe I have to? Or is it a, I can't believe I get to? Because that's where Paul is. Paul, I don't, again, I understand. That's like a, a world away from where our minds are. And maybe it's because he has time in jail to really think about these things. But Paul is saying, I can't believe I get to tell people about the unsearchable riches of Christ. To me, this really helps. And maybe you've heard this before. Paul, I think, would ascribe to this idea that sharing the gospel is like one beggar telling another beggar where to find wealth, where to find unsearchable riches. It's like one beggar saying, I know I'm poor, too. You're poor. I found this treasure trove. And it's so unsearchable that I'm actually willing to share it with you because I could never get through through it by myself. You can invite a million people and they still won't exhaust this this treasure trove of riches. What are the riches he's talking about? You need forgiveness. This to me, this is what evangelism is and should be. You need forgiveness. Come with me. 
Let me show you unsearchable forgiveness. You need cleansing? You tell me you need constant cleansing? Me too. Come with me. Let me show you where to get unsearchable cleansing. You need comfort? You need comfort that no, no one on earth seems to be able to give you because they don't understand? Let me show you the person that is the God of all comfort. You say you have no hope, no joy, no peace. I have been there. I can show you where you can find unsearchable amounts of hope, joy, peace. Y'all, that's the gospel. And when I think of it that way, it's a privilege to share. And that's where Paul is here. He's going to go on now. And you're probably figuring out if, if we go at this pace through verses 9, 10, 11, we'll be here till next daylight savings time. Um, so we're going to come back to that. Really, really actually quite interesting stuff in those verses. But I want to make sure that we kind of wrap up with the context of today's message. The context, I think, for me anyway, today's message is fun in the dungeon. How can you possibly have fun in the dungeon? If the title of the message is don't cry for me, Gentiles, then we have to, I think, visit the end of this section. We have to look at Paul's plea. That's your final P there. His plea to the Ephesian Gentiles, verse 13. Therefore, I ask that you do not lose heart at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. Paul says, look, I know that. That you're concerned about me. I know that you know that I'm writing this from a prison cell. All I can tell you is, don't you worry about me at all. The New Living Translation puts it this way. So please don't despair because of what they are doing to me here. It, it is for you that I am suffering, so you should feel honored and encouraged. Paul is saying, look, don't cry for me, Gentiles. I'm here, I know, in a sense, because of you. But I am here because God loves you. Yes, I'm a prisoner, but I'm not a prisoner of Rome. I'm a prisoner of Jesus. You Gentiles, you are my personal project. You are God's gracious assignment to me. I can't believe that he would give me this privilege. And my proclamation still stands that God has chosen Gentiles to be part of his family. And let me tell you, it is a privilege. I can't believe that God would give me, the persecutor of his church, the honor of preaching unsearchable riches that Jesus offers to sinners like me. As we close, I just want to give you one more little insight on the way to have fun in the dungeon. Look at verse 12. Just we'll touch on it. We might talk more on the next time. Verse 12, he says, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through him, through faith in him. He's probably talking generally to the Ephesians. He's said this before. Look, because of what Jesus done, we have access, right? We we're able to come into his throne room. But when I think of it in context of the fact that Paul's in a prison cell, it could be that he's talking about this personally for him. In whom we, me and my prisoner buddies, have boldness and access with confidence through faith in him. The word access, Paul says, look, right here in my prison cell, I can have access. I can approach the throne. I have the ear of our king. Don't you feel sorry for me? Paul says, in whom we have boldness. That word boldness, listen to this. It literally means freedom in speaking. Unreservedness in speech. To be able to speak your mind completely and boldly. 
I don't know, again, if you've heard this, but but they say that Paul wasn't in chains in Rome. No, all of Rome was chained to Paul. <laughs> right? He, 24 7, he was guarded. So every time they had the changing of the guard, right? Probably went like this. Hey, I'm Paul. What's your name? Oh, guard so and so. Okay, hey, let me tell you my story. I know you're not going anywhere. You got some time? Oh, and let. Along the way, let me tell you about the unsearchable riches that I found. Paul says to the Ephesians, don't you worry about me. I am freer than I've ever been. I can talk. I can talk about Jesus constantly and they have to listen. Amazing.